Good morning. Yeah, Thanksgiving, huh? Still recovering from uh, gorging ourselves on tons of turkey. Uh, it's um, I love Thanksgiving. Fun fact, you guys may know this about me, uh, but uh, my, me and my brother-in-law used to actually have a, an eating competition, which was a bad idea for Thanksgiving. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. We... Uh, we would weigh ourselves beforehand, and then we would just literally stuff ourselves to the absolute limit until it was painful, and then weigh ourselves afterwards. And uh, we did this once, and we did it one time only because it was a terrible idea. Uh, and I lost, and that was awful. I was so mad. I put myself through all of that pain and agony and lost by half a pound. Ugh. Excuse me. So, uh, happy Thanksgiving to you all. Uh, my name is Daniel uh, Yelverton. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're honored that you're here this morning. If you're a first-time guest, if you're family visiting town, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, we are actually going through a sermon series called A Chapter a Day, and this is more than just a series for us. It's really actually a cultural shift. You see, we know that there's only so much effectiveness we can do from here as far as just uh, teaching, individual impact, things like that. We want to equip you to be who God has called you to be. And we believe that he wants a relationship with you on a daily basis. So a chapter a day is just a part of that. It's not a checklist. It's not anything that you need to do to make yourself feel good about God or even feel like you're able to come to this church. It really is just for your benefit because we want to see God use you in amazing ways. And so this week, we've been going through Romans 2 through 8. And I think it's really interesting that it fell right on Thanksgiving because this was like full of stuff. Like it was almost one of those things where you would read a chapter and you would need a nap afterwards just like when you eat a whole pound of turkey or something like that. Like it would just, it was a, it was a challenge. And so this morning, I want to kind of do an overview of what we're reading in Romans 2 through 8. Uh, because one, I believe that there is crucial foundations to our faith in these chapters. That to just stick with one and overlook the rest, uh, we, it, it builds off of each other. And so bear with me. I'm going to try to bring, uh, I guess, simplify this as much, but also give you some application on what we get from Romans 2 through 8. So before we get going, I'm just going to pray for this time. Lord, I just, uh, I just thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these people that are here. And Lord, I just, um, I ask the Holy Spirit you would come, that you would teach us about the good news of Jesus that we read about in Paul's letter to the Romans. But this is a letter to us because it's telling us, Lord, not only what you came to do for us, but also the wonderful benefits that we have because you have saved us and because you have chosen us. And so, God, I just pray that this falls on us. I pray that there's no, con no room for condemnation, no room for shame or guilt. But, God, I pray that they, we would receive uh, the good news that Jesus loves us and that God loves us. And Jesus came to save us and he came to give us new life. And we can experience that new life now and forever in eternity. And it's your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So many of you coming here, I don't know where your background is, what your spiritual background, but um, you may feel like spiritually 
You're spinning your wheels. See, I can, I can really relate to this. You can go through these cycles where um, you're, you feel like you've done something bad or an event has happened in your life, and so it's a downward spiral. And so then you, you come to God and you ask God to forgive you, to help you, to get you through this. And you almost start to bargain with God. You begin to say, all right, God, if, if you come through in this, I'm going to read my Bible for an entire year. Or I'm going to learn what fasting is because I have no clue what that is. Or I'm going to uh, do a chapter a day or whatever it is. And, and so then we start this kind of path back. And then all of a sudden we get hit with something or we fall short and we go back down into this cycle. You see, this was something that I could really relate to growing up. Because I was counting and I was hoping that I was going to make God happy with me by the things that I was doing. And Paul is coming to tell us here in the scripture that there's another way. That we don't have to spin our spiritual wheels. We don't have to spin and go through this emotional roller coaster, this spiritual roller coaster of trying to make God happy and then feeling like we're disappointing and shamefully coming back to God, hoping that he's not angry enough, that he's not going to punish up punish us, and then you know, try our best to do it again, climb up that mountain and then fall back down. Paul says, and he starts this in Romans 3, 21 through 24. He says, but now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Now, I'm going to explain what that is. Now, although the law and the prophets, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus is for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his gracious gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, but now. So what he's comparing to is that we all grow up with this. We all know this. We all experience this. Actually, every major religion uh, uses this. There's a, there's a term called justification. And what justification means is, 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 a, is a moral record that we need to accomplish to become right with God. And for some of you, actually, you, you grew up in churches that expressed this, expressed a moral record that you had to read your Bible, you had to dress a certain way, you had to behave a certain way, and that was going to make God good with you. And every major religion has this. They, they base it on behavior. So you've got to read the Bible. You got to read the Torah. You got to read the Quran. You got to go to church. You got to go to temple. You got to go to mosque. You have to hopefully put enough chips in the good category to outweigh the bad category because the bad category inevitably happens. And so we base everything on our moral record. Paul is saying that there's a new way now, there's a new way to experience the righteousness of God. Now, when we read and hear the word righteousness, it kind of has like a negative connotation. Like we think of like self-righteousness or kind of arrogance or piety or something like that. And righteousness, actually what it really means, it's funny, in the scripture, righteousness and justification are the same word. And so it really just means it's a record that gives you access, a record that opens doors. So many of you have probably heard this question growing up, and this is going to be kind of an old school question. Uh, but it says, I think Billy Graham actually came up with it. He says, if you died tonight, why would God let you into heaven? 
if you died tonight, why would you go to heaven? And I don't know why we always think we're going to die at night, but that's just part of the question. <laughs> but if it basically what Billy Graham and what's being confronted here is the question is, what's the reason? What's the reason that God's going to let you into heaven? What is your record? What do you have to stand on? And a lot of times we approach God like that. We approach God like we've got a resume. And we say, all right, here's all the good things that I've done. Here is where I've tried really hard. Here are the few mistakes that I've made. I really hope that this works. I hope that you'll accept me. I hope that I will be able to receive all that you have to offer me. And so we do our best to try to build this resume. But unfortunately, it ends up failing us. It doesn't work. And maybe for you this morning, you're just trying to check out this whole religious thing. You're just not sure about this whole moral record and and being right with God. Uh, And I get that. That's fine. We're so glad you're here. Uh, Regardless of if you're trying to please God, ultimately, there's a longing in us to justify our existence. There's a longing in us to say, I'm worthy. I'm justified. I have value here on earth. The great theologian and philosopher Rocky Balboa in Rocky (laughs) 1, he's talking to Adrian, and I almost did it, but I decided not to. I would have butchered it. Uh, So he's talking to Adrian, and he's, he's saying, I need to go the whole distance with Apollo. I need to finish, and I need to fight. I know I can't win. He's so much better than I am. But I need to go to the distance because I don't want people to know that I'm a bum. Basically, in theologian terms, Rocky was saying, I want to know that I matter. I want to know that my existence is worth it. And, and it's probably not boxing for you. I get that. But what about your job? What about the positions that you're hoping to get? What about the the respect that you're expecting from your employer or for your employees? Is that something that you're basing your value on? What about your children? Are you basing your value on their accomplishments, on their behavior, on their academic standings or their sports goals? Is that what you're saying? If they do this, then I'm going to know that I'm worth it. I'm going to know that I'm here for a reason, that I'm significant. And Paul is pushing all of this aside because it always ends up falling short. And he says there's another way. There's another way now and forever that we can have a perfect record, that we can be completely validated for our worth, not only here, but also before a perfect God. And it's available to everyone, and it's free. You see, justification Often when I think about it, I I think about being forgiven. And even though forgiveness is a part of what we receive from God, what we receive through Jesus and what he's done for us, justification is actually so much more than just forgiveness. You see, forgiveness has kind of a negative connotation to it. Think about it like in a courtroom. You're coming in, you have all of your crimes, you have something that you've done, and you're pardoned. The judge forgives you, and, and you go. You say you're, you're free to go, right? Now, whether or not you did it or not, that sin or that choice or that crime kind of shrouds over you. 
And so forgiveness is one. It's great because we receive that pardon, but justification is so much more. Because justification, instead of saying, hey, you can go now, I'm forgiving you, God's saying, all right, you know, you're good now. He's saying, hey, I want you to come in. You're welcome. You're, You're justified to be in my presence and to experience the life, the love, and the joy that I want to give you. You see, justification is so much bigger than forgiveness. And what's awesome is that it doesn't require the moral record. We don't have to do anything to earn it. And can we be honest? That's hard for us. Just like I talked about with the resume, we try to validate our significance on our moral record. So often we ask God in our heart and then we expect to do all of the work afterwards. We say, Jesus, come save me. And then you say, all right, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to do better. I'm going to get rid of these sins in my life. I'm going to work through all of these things. And we're starting to, to base our worth to God and experiencing his blessings and his presence based on the things that we are doing. And the free justification that we have from Jesus is that he says, no, I've covered it all. You have a perfect blameless record. In fact, it says that in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, uh, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin so that we could have the righteousness of God. So it's not that we've been forgiven. It's that our whole record is now changed. That we are now united with Jesus in his past and present and future. And God sees us through the lens of Christ. Colossians 3 says that we are now hidden in Christ. So what does this mean for us? This means that we no longer have to feel guilty. We no longer have to feel shame or condemnation. That we don't need to negotiate with God anymore for his favor. We need to disarm ourselves of that notion that God is going to finally be happy with us when we do all the things that's going to make him happy. He's already so pleased with us because he's so pleased with his son. And we are, we are united with his son when we are justified through faith. So maybe you're here today and you're hoping that you're going to get your life right. And you're going to do, you have this laundry list of things that you're going to do that are eventually going to turn things around. And I want to tell you that the cycle of trying to do is over now with Jesus. That free righteousness, free justification, a perfect record is available to you. And you don't need, you don't need to do God any favors to receive this grace and goodness. Guilt, I want you guys to hear this this morning. Guilt, condemnation, and shame are no longer your companions now because of Jesus. You no longer feel like you need to have a record to maintain. You are free from comparing yourselves to other people. So, naturally, a question arises. Well, if my works don't count at all for my righteousness, that it's everything that Jesus has done, then do I really need to do good works? 
Paul is like, aha, let me answer that for you. And we jump here in Romans 6, verses 1 through 5. He says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us even more and more of his wonderful grace? Should we go ahead and just rack up the charges? We've got a free unlimited card. Jesus has paid it all. Let's live it up. Of course not. Since we died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you are joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, you are joined with him in your de- in death? Sorry. For if we died and are buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we've been united with him in, in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. And then Paul he reiterates the same question, almost to just kind of make his point known in 6 verses 12 uh, through 18. It says, do not let sin control the way you live. Don't, do not give into the sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you are no longer, uh, you can no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that when you become a, that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin which leads to death, or you can obey God, which leads to righteous living. We have next slide. Thank God. Once you were slaves to sin, now, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from the slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Okay, so... This doesn't also compute very well with us, this whole kind of slavery uh, aspect that Paul is talking about. And Paul even admits in the next verse that he's using this as kind of like in human terms that it's not exactly a perfect analogy. And for us, you know, our image of slavery is race-based. It's for lifetime. But for Paul's readers, slavery was something that you could do. You could sell yourself to somebody if you had a large debt to help pay off the debt. And then once you did that, you were under complete control and mastery of that person. So what Paul is telling us here, and I want you guys to hang with me on this, is that, is that we all have spiritual masters. We are all slaves to either God or to sin. There's really no gray area at all. And I get pushed back immediately when I hear that. I'm like, no, I mean, I'm free. I'm able to make my own decisions. I'm able to choose what I think is best for me. And Paul is actually telling us that if we think that way, that we actually don't know the conditions of the human heart. See, there is a verb in Romans chapter 12. If you want to put up Romans 12 again, That would be awesome. 
it says, do not let sin control. So that word control is actually the Greek word uh, epithumia. And what epithumia means is it's, thumia is desires and, and epi means like over or crazy. So these are over, out of control desires. And Paul is saying that actually all sin, all issues that we deal with are actually desires for good things that have become ultimate things, that have become God things. And what happens when we do that, when we, when we pursue those desires, we actually become slaves. They become our masters. I want to give you three different examples to think about this. Anger. If someone blocks you from getting a good thing, you become angry, right? I mean, that makes sense. But here's what happens. When somebody blocks you from getting an ultimate thing, something that fi- you find eternal significance in, you, be get, you get epi-angry. You, get, you rage. You say things that you regret. You have trouble forgiving people or you become bitter because you know what's happening? That person is actually threatening a spiritual master of yours. Or what about fear? When something good in your life is threatened, you get worried, right? But if something ultimate is threatened, you get paralyzed with fear. It drives you to anxiety because that something or someone has become a spiritual master. What about sadness? If you lose something good, you weep, you grieve, that makes sense. It may take months to get over it. But when you lose something that's ultimate, when it's an ultimate desire, you lose all significance. You lose every value and you lose the meaning of life. So Paul is telling us that if we don't know our spiritual masters, that we will continue to stay stuck in these cycles. We will continue to stay stuck in patterns. See, a lot of times, these responses, whether it's fear, sadness, anger, it's like smoke to a fire. That there's something in it that's inside you that is being unmet, that it is a, or you have to serve or try to get, um, please it, because it's supposed to give you what you want. We see that when, when parents find all their, their validation in kids, and then all of a sudden the kids leave them and they have nothing left. Or we see it when people lose all of their wealth and they despair and they even think about killing themselves because they don't know what life would be like without the money that they've accumulated. And so these desires have gone out of control and what that's happened is it's enslaved us. And if honestly you're still kind of skeptical about the spiritual mastery thing, let me just tell you a little bit about my story. You see, when I was in high school, I decided that I was going to live for my own happiness. I was going to, I knew what was right, but I said, you know what, that, I feel like that's not going to make me happy, so I'm going to do that. And I'm going to go and I'm going to uh, pursue whatever I want uh, just in the name of my own happiness. And you know what happened? I didn't know this, but happiness, my personal happiness became my spiritual master. It told me what to do. I lost thousands of dollars in the name of of personal happiness. I could never have a healthy relationship because I was looking for happiness that was going to validate me in that person, and they were never meant to do that for me. 
and I had scars because of those years of when I was trying to pursue my own happiness. You see, spiritual masters are subtle, but they're brutal masters. They are cruel. They will overpromise and they will underdeliver every single time. So if we begin to start understanding our own heart, what are our spiritual masters? Christ says that we actually can experience freedom from those. So there's freedom in Christ because of what he's done on the cross. Now this is really cool, and I want you guys to focus in on what's going to happen here. So in Romans 6, uh, 3 through 5, it says that, uh, or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, you were also joined in his death? So I underline join here. Joined is an amazing term. The way that Paul is using it here, it's actually a hornicultural term. Shout out to Jacob's dad. Uh, sorry, he's a horticulturalist. Um, I didn't know what that was until I talked to Jacob. It's somebody that does a lot of stuff with plants, I think. So anyways, it's a horticulturist term. And uh, basically what it means is it actually means that you're grafted into the root. See, there's lots of other times when we use... Uh, when Jesus is using, or even in the Bible, when we see grafting happening, uh, the vine is grafted, like we're grafted as branches to the vine in John uh, 15. Uh, but this one is really interesting because it says we're grafted in the root. And so what that means is that, and so I'll continue this, it says, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he has. Okay, so here's what's going on here. Since we are justified through Jesus and we have faith in what he's done for us, in that process, when we profess that, we become grafted into the root of Jesus. And that means, just like when it says we were also, uh, we were raised to life when he was raised to life and we died with him. That means that our past is now Jesus' past. We receive Jesus' past. Our future we receive now is Jesus' future for us. So we don't have to worry about a moral record. Now we have been grafted in to every work that Jesus has done, and that is our future glory. You see, this is so much more. Salvation is so much more than a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's so much more than just a pardon. We have literally been united with Jesus' life, past and future. So we don't need to be masters anymore. We don't need to be mastered by the things that used to control us. We have every resource available to us because now we are grafted in Jesus. We have every uh, resource, joy, every gift from the Father through Jesus because of we have been united with him. But what's interesting is that it says that we should also not, we should consider ourselves dead to the power of sin in Romans 6.11. So what that means is that we need to live out this new identity. The best way I can describe this is that imagine that you have a country that has one group of people that's enslaved another, right? And they have, uh, it's been like this for years, for their lifetime. And then all of a sudden a good king comes and he sets free the enslaved people. 
now from this point forward, they are completely set free. But they have to live that out daily. They have to unwind from what they've experienced. And so this enslaved group now, if someone from the oppressed group tells them to go do something, even though they don't have the right or the power to do that, if they do that, then they're agreeing with the old master. And they're making themselves master. They're making themselves slaves once again. So I want us to take that spiritually. Right now, you and me, we are completely free from the power of sin because of Jesus. That old way of doing things, the old cycles, the old mistakes that we've used to make, that old identity is now gone and forever because we've been united with Jesus. He conquered sin in the grave. We have conquered sin in the grave because we're united. He's going to receive future glory and honor. We're going to receive future glory and honor. That's who we are positionally. But we need to live in that. We need to know that these epi desires, these desires that we've had, are no longer our masters. We don't need to be driven into rage or bitterness or unforgiveness because that honestly has no power over anymore. It may feel comfortable because that's what we've been used to, but that's no longer our master. When something tries to force us to lose our cool or go to a certain website or drive us to fear or anxiety or depression, that no longer has mastery or power over us. And so we need to live out in this new identity, and that's going to take time. That's going to take repetition. That's going to take daily waking up and reminding ourselves that we're no longer slaves to sin. You see, guys, this is so much more than just a free ticket to heaven. This is so much more than just avoiding hell. God has promised us life and life abundantly, and it's here. And it's not because of anything we did, so we don't need to worry about our moral record. But it's also not like we still have to continue to struggle and strive and deal with these, these uh, spiritual masters. And I think this was the question that got me. Is, can I really trust God? All these things sound really great. You know, this whole justification, this free gift from God, it's amazing. I now have all of the power and access to God. I can approach the throne with boldness because of Jesus. Every good and perfect gift is available to me. I have everything that I need for life and godliness. I mean, this is so much better than just avoiding flames. There's so much more to this, but... And we get this honestly from Adam. Can I really trust God? Is God going to be just like the brutal masters that I have? Maybe this is just going to be what I'm going to have. I'm just going to go to what's comfortable. And there's so much freedom that we have available to us. Paul is sharing that he's, he's imploring us to don't go back to this. Don't go back to your spiritual mastery. So the last thing I want us to talk about is can we trust God? How does God now relate to us? And what's cool is that we hear about this in Romans 8. See, there's this shift that happens in Romans 8. 
God begins to begin to hear about this thing called adoption. And that's the Holy Spirit testifies to this. And so it says in Romans 8, 14, and, seven, and 17, it says, for, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you did not receive a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, so there's not, you don't need to come to God in that fearful shame, like, God, please, just I'll do whatever I can to make it right. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children's, as children, and now we call him Abba, Father. For the spirit joins to our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. God is no longer distant and unapproachable. He's now dad. Everything he has is ours. He gives us full acceptance. No longer do you need acceptance from male or female affection, from your coworkers, from your boss. He gives us all of that. He gives us love, love that will never abandon you, love that will never keep a record of wrong, love that constantly embraces and forgives. And he gives you joy, joy that you don't need to keep striving for. It's like the woman at the well. And just like we even sang at the very beginning of the service, you can come and be satisfied. You don't have to keep striving to try to fill that satisfaction. It's all available to us because now God is dad. And honestly, if we were some of you this morning with God being referred to as dad, that comes with some brokenness from your earthly father. You feel like from the abuse or from the rejection or the, f- the fear that coming to God, he feels so unapproachable, he feels so cold. You feel like you've got to bring him something to make him happy first. And I love the imagery that Jesus, um, if the band wants to come up, I love the imagery that Jesus uh, shares in the prodigal son. So for you, those of you that don't know the story, The prodigal son is asking his dad for everything, and then he goes off and he spends it, everything. He wastes his life. He takes everything that good that God or the father had given him, and he wastes it completely. And he realizes how, what of a mess he's made of his life. And so he thinks to himself, you know what? Man, my dad's house was so much better. Even the servants are doing better than I'm doing right now. So I'm going to go home. And you know what he does? He rehearses this speech. He says, all right, I'm going to say when I see my dad, I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be a son. I want to be your servant. And so when he's coming back, he's got this. He's rehearsed this in his head. The dad sees him from a distance. And he goes running. He goes running to him. He doesn't want the son to come in shame. He runs to his son and he embraces him. And the son begins to start what he says. 
Dad, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. And the dad interrupts him. And he says, quick, go get the, go get the ring that signifies power. Go get the robe that signifies royalty. We have been saving this animal for years. We're going to go ahead and we're going to have a feast. We're going to celebrate. Because my son was lost. But now he's found. And God, if you feel like you've been trying to do this on your own, you've tried to make God happy, you've tried to come in with your own justification and your works and saying, I really worked hard on this God. Will you accept me? He's coming running to you. Honestly, he's rehearsing a party right now that he's getting ready to throw for you. And so I want you to come. I want you to experience what he has for you. I want you to experience that embrace. Because in it, all of those things that you tried to get elsewhere, it will all be satisfied. It'll all come untrue. So, now, here we are. You've been justified. It's not a, hey, you've been forgiven, so leave my presence. You've been justified. Come close. Come near. You're my son. You're my daughter. No longer do those brutal masters have any control over you because I did everything so that you didn't have to. And you know what? Guess what? I'm going to give you my righteous record. That sinless life that I lived, that's yours now. You know, the glory that I know is going to come, that's going to be ours now. We're together. And that's who Jesus is. And that's what God wants to give you. So come home. Come home and experience what God has for you. And I just want to close with this scripture. So what, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, if God is for you, if God is for me, then who can be against us? Since he didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse you? Whom God has chosen, no one. God himself has given us right standing with himself. He's given us justification. Who then? Who can condemn you? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us all and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in a place of honor at God's right hand. And he's pleading for us. Can anything separate you from God's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves you when trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute in danger or threatened by death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. You see, I am convinced that nothing can separate you from the love of God. 
neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fear of tomorrow or, fear or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate you from the love of God. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord.